the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, estate planning attorney from San Jose, Bob Bergman. Uh, If you tuned in last week, you probably heard a rebroadcast of an earlier show from this year. And uh, I apologize for that. Uh, I found that last Friday I was so slammed with work that had to get out the door that I just wasn't able to do the show. Unfortunately, Marco was able to do a pivot and get that show up for me. But I'm live today. You can give me a call at 800-516-1220. If you'd like to ask me a question on the air, you can email me at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask me, you can always email me there as well. Now, I want to let you all know that I do have one of my Living Trust seminars Tomorrow morning here in my office, starting at 9 o'clock, my office on Ross Avenue in San Jose. I checked, and there still are some spaces available. So uh, if you go to eventbrite.com and look for Living Trust Seminar for tomorrow, you'll find mine. You can register. I think there's still some spaces left. So if you'd like to come in and learn about Living Trust in a non-threatening atmosphere, Um, I don't bite. I'm um, pretty good and pretty entertaining in person. If you like me on the radio, I'm even more so in person. And you can come in. There's no obligation, no charge for anything. And I give you a lot of materials both during the seminar and that you can take away with you and look at later on in in the comfort and privacy of your own home. So my seminar tomorrow, June 1st. Uh, starting at 9 o'clock in my office. If you just come by my office, I can't guarantee there will be space available. But if there is, you're welcome to come in and join us uh, in the morning for the seminar. Now, um, I'm going to continue on with the practice I've had for for the last year or so that the show's been on the air and cover some topics around the state of California. And then I'm going to end up the show today talking about the various types of things that I do as an attorney um, so that you have a sense of what I do as an attorney and what I don't do as an attorney. Uh, It can be frustrating for people to call up an attorney such as myself and say, hey, I need help with this, and then I have to tell them, well, I don't really do that. 
but I do know people who do, and I'll refer them over. It's probably better not to call me in the first place because uh, because time is limited, and I can only help so many people with the things that I do, and I, much as I'd love to, I can't help everybody with every problem that, that they have out there. So um, second half of the show, I'm going to talk about the actual things that I do as an attorney, as an estate planning attorney and counselor. So here is a question out of, I've never heard of this place in California before, Copperopolis. That's a, that's a new one for me. I've lived here over 50 years, never heard of that. I'm guessing it's a town somewhere in the gold country. If you know where it is, feel free to shoot me a quick email at radio at lawbob so I can clarify that. But this is a uh, pretty straightforward um, question. It says, my father passed away intestate in Calaveras County, leaving behind a house. I've received letters of administration. Now, that would be appropriate. If someone dies intestate, then a probate has to be commenced, especially if they own real estate. A probate has to be commenced in the county where the person was resident, in this case, Calaveras County. And what the court will issue is letters of administration giving authority to someone to now handle and wind up the affairs of someone who's died, in this case, died intestate, meaning they didn't have a last will and testament. Now, this person says, when filling out a claim for reassessment exclusion for a transfer between a parent and child, do I enter my father's information under transferor and leave the signature blank, or do I put in my own information due to the letters? It's an excellent question. The transferor is going to be the father because he's his interest is the one being transferred. He's the parent and it's going to the child. The child would sign as the authorized representative of the father, in this case, the father's intestate estate. And then, presumably, the child would turn around and sign as the transferee who is going to be receiving the property through the probate eventually, once probate runs its course and it's able to be distributed out. So uh, it's an excellent question, and you might say, well, who signs for the transferor if they're deceased? Well, that could be the successor trustee of their trust, or it could be their administrator or executor in a probate estate. Now here, here's another question here. This is out of San Francisco. Just got married here in California. We're never married before. Each of us has a brokerage account open in their own name only during the marriage. The other spouse is named as primary beneficiary. Our kids are named as contingent beneficiaries in both brokerage accounts. Will the passing of one spouse cause the assets in both spouses' accounts to get a full cost basis step up for income tax purposes? Now, what they're asking is, hey, we each have accounts in our own name. If I die, will just my account get a step up in the cost basis for income tax purposes? Or will my surviving spouse's account get that too? Well, the answer to that question ultimately depends on whether or not, even though the accounts are in your individual names, whether or not 
the accounts are considered by you and in writing indicated to be community property owned by both of you in the marriage. If it's community property, then the brokerage account in the name of the surviving spouse would also be revalued to the full fair market value on the death of the first spouse to die. But if, in fact, the account is the separate property of the surviving spouse, then there is actually no change in ownership of that account. There is nothing to transfer, and so there is no step-up in the cost basis on that account. So what I would tell them is, it depends on how you have characterized this property and whether it is, in fact, separate property or even though it's in one name or the other name, it's, in fact, community property. It's possible to have community property in a marriage that's just in one spouse's name. For example, a 401k plan, an IRA, a uh, personal checking account, a business checking account like I have in my law practice. It is a community property asset with my wife and myself, even though it's just in my name and she has signing authority on it in case I need her to write a check or something like that. But it's community property because it contains money earned in the marriage, which is part of the community. So it really comes down to how is it characterized between the spouses And do they have a written agreement making it clear that it's community property or separate property? Well, we're coming up on the the first break of the show today. And uh, when I come back after the break, we're going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. You can give me a call at 800-516-1220. Let Marco know you'd like to talk with me or email me at radio at lawbob.com. So I'll be back after the break. Got to pay the bills, you know. So here come the commercials. Talk with you then. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. You can also email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have any questions you'd like for me to answer on the air for you. Now, continuing on with the questions and comments that I get from around the state of California, uh, let's go on to the next one here. This is out of here in the Bay Area. Wants to know... Can trust funds be distributed if a beneficiary does not provide their Social Security number? It says the trust and accounting are completed. Beneficiaries have signed consent, provided their Social Security numbers except for one person. Can the money still be distributed without his number? Well, certainly if everyone else has provided that information, they don't have to wait on the person who hasn't in order to have their share of everything distributed to them. That that much is clear. The question I would ask here is, as part of the distribution, is anything being distributed that includes taxable income as part of the distribution? 
such as a proportionate share of interest or dividends earned on an account, or capital gains maybe uh, earned from the sale of real estate that was sold for significantly more than what it was worth when the owner died, things like that. If that's the case, there's no practical way to for the trustee to really distribute the property to someone who won't provide their Social Security number because the trustee has the obligation to report that income to the Internal Revenue Service when the trust reports on its own tax return. Uh, the trustee has to be able to issue what's called a K-1 if there's taxable interest or dividends or capital gains. Uh, that's similar to a 1099 for a bank account or dividends in a brokerage account or something like that. And if they don't have a Social Security number, they can't properly report to the government who received that income. So the government now knows who to go to to make sure that they properly report that income and pay taxes on it if necessary. So the answer is, I believe, that you can't really distribute to someone who won't provide the Social Security number. Um, This is if they're in the United States and otherwise subject to United States taxation. So um, in a similar fashion, (laughs) interestingly enough, a different person asked the question and said, hey, can I refuse to give the successor trustee or the trust attorney a W-9 form to get my inheritance? In other words, provide my Social Security number. I think it goes back the, the in the same way. Coming from the other side, can I refuse to give um, a W-9 to get my inheritance? Well, if there's income that is going to be coming to you, from the distribution, I think you pretty much need to require that. In the absence of someone providing that information and refusing to provide it, then um, I think the trustee has the ability, if necessary, to go to court and deposit it with the local court with instructions that the the beneficiary can come come and get it any time they provide information to the court that's satisfactory to take it over. I've never had to do that in my practice. I'm sure there's attorneys that have run into this situation before. And uh, for me, I don't know why someone would refuse to provide the information needed for them to receive an inheritance. I, I just, I don't understand that reasoning. Now here, here's a question. Does the federal marital tax deduction for trusts apply to me even though my husband and I are only married overseas. So we were married in a different country, but never officially in the state of California. In my trust, it mentions the federal marital tax deduction. Will I be able to take advantage of this even though my husband and I are not legally married in the states? Well, the issue is you can take the federal marital tax deduction, which actually what that means is Um, typically a surviving spouse in a marriage can receive an unlimited amount of property from the spouse that has died without owning any federal estate tax on that money. That's estate, not state. Federal estate tax. If you were married in another country and the marriage was valid and legal in that country, it's valid and legal here in the United States as well. You don't have to get 
remarried officially in California. I mean, as an aside, there are people living in California, couples that are legally married, even though they never went through any kind of ceremony. They got married, if you will, in one of the number of states here in the United States where they have what's called common law marriage. Common law marriage basically means that you can live together for a prescribed amount of time as husband and, and, and wife or husband and husband, wife and wife, and you tell everybody around you, we're married. And if you do that long enough and hold yourselves out as a married couple, after a certain passage of time, you are legally married in that state under the common law. Now, there's people in California that do the same thing, and I've had couples come in and sit down and say, and I'll say, so when did you get married? Oh, we're married under the common law. And I say, okay, well, where did you live before uh, you moved here to California? And they said, oh, no, we're California natives. We've always lived here. Then I have to give them the news that they're not married at all because California is not a common law state where you can get married that way. So if you're listening out there and you're living with someone that you believe you're married with under the common law and and you've always lived here in California, I'm telling you right now, you're not legally married under California law. You're a cohabitating couple. You're not a married couple. So you might want to take care of that right away. Go down to City Hall, get yourself hitched. I guarantee you've probably been filing joint married tax returns for many years. Technically, you shouldn't have been able to file those because technically you're legally not married. Go ahead, take care of that. Fix the problem. Make your kids the kids of a valid marriage rather than the kids of a non-marriage, okay? They will thank you later. Uh, You don't have to thank me, but you know what? If you're in that situation and you act on this, shoot me a quick email at radio at lawbop to let me know that you heard this and you acted on it to make sure that you don't get caught up short in a situation like this. Very, very common. So we're coming up on uh, the end of the show. Not the end of the show. What? A, yeah, I want to go home early today, obviously. No, we're coming up on the on the mid-show break, halfway point of the show. Uh, after the break, I'm going to share with you the things I do as an attorney and some of the exciting things I'm doing as initiatives in my law practice um, that will actually affect people throughout the state of California. And it might be of benefit to someone you know in another part of the state. So um, I'll be coming back after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Um, You can always call 800-516-1220. And I will take your call in the second half of the show if you call in. So talk with you after the break. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Uh, We're in the second half of the show, and I'm going to spend the balance of the show today uh, letting you know about the various things I do as an attorney. Let me start first by what my 
my uh, formal title is, I refer myself to myself as an attorney and counselor at law. I do that because, first of all, I am an attorney at law, which means I'm licensed by the State Bar of California to practice law here in California, uh, helping California clients. I'm also a counselor at law, and that means that I do spend a lot of my time actually counseling people in my law practice, uh, counseling families on the best way to plan their affairs for um, providing for the possibility of incapacity and who's going to handle things for them there. Also, uh, who's going to handle their property, who's going to make medical and health care decisions for them uh, while they're alive but may be disabled or incapacitated. I also plan for how they're going to pass on property if they're married between each other. If unmarried, then who they're going to pass it to. And then are there children, grandchildren, brothers, sisters, parents, significant others, life partners, uh, close friends? Who's going to receive their property? And then how they're going to receive it. So as an estate planning attorney, um, I tell people I don't sell living trusts. Uh, if someone calls me up and says, how much do you charge for a living trust? I'm likely to say, well, I'll tell you what, I don't charge anything for a living trust. It's like, what? What do you mean? You, you, you don't have any fees? Oh, I have fees, but I don't charge for a living trust. I don't sell living trusts. I plan estates. I'm an estate planning attorney. I'm actually board certified by the State Bar Board of Legal Specialization as a specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law. Now, to explain what that really means, I have to have been practicing a long time, doing a lot of different things, and I also have to have done a lot of planning cases. I have to be recommended by people in the profession, attorneys and judges, to uh, be board certified in estate planning. And I have to do more than twice as much continuing education as other attorneys in the state bar. For example, as an attorney, I have to do 25 hours of continuing education every three years in order to be eligible to renew my bar license for another three years. As a board-certified specialist, I have to do an additional 36 hours every three years or 12 hours a year uh, in my specialty, not just in anything. I can't go... Um, do continuing education in some random area of the law that seems interesting to me. I have to do it in my specialization of estate planning. So I do more than twice as much continuing education as other attorneys. I also have to pay higher bar dues than other attorneys because I'm a specialist. And the I guess the other thing is... Um, I have to keep this up. I can't just slack off. I have to keep doing the same kind of things that I was doing in the past in order to maintain my certification. So attorneys who are certified in a specialty make up about 3% of all attorneys in the state of California. And that's all specialties. There's, I don't know, 11 or 12 specializations, estate planning being one of them. Um, so much like doctors can be certified in specialties such as 
uh, surgery, podiatry, dermatology, urology, all kinds of things like that. So can attorneys such as myself. In Santa Clara County, where I practice, there's approximately 100 attorneys in the county that are board-certified specialists in estate planning. I probably personally know or acquainted with about half of that number. And uh, to put it in perspective, Santa Clara County, according to the latest demographics from the state bar, has over 8,000 attorneys practicing in the county. Now, I can guarantee there's more than 100 attorneys here in Santa Clara County that are doing estate planning or living trust planning. Um, Many of them who are not board certified are still very, very expert in doing planning. Many who are not board certified, though, um, really are just selling living trusts. So they'll quote you a price to sell you a living trust, whatever living trust document they happen to have. I do estate planning, which means that I craft the plans that I do and create the legal documents for those plans customized to the specific client, the specific customer. Uh, People sometimes ask me, well, what's a typical situation you run into? And I say, well, there's probably about 30 or more typical situations I've run into in my practice And I have a pretty good idea once I've met with people and talked with them what might be the best approach for them. But ultimately, my recommendation is only a recommendation. And kind of like that famous restaurant chain, which shall remain nameless, um, I will do it your way, even if I don't agree with it. I will do it your way. Um, I might have you sign a statement to the effect that I advised you against it. But you said, I'm going to do it anyway, and that's fine. I do that because I wouldn't want your family to be upset with me later on. (laughs) Um, But uh, that's my approach as an estate planning attorney. So a lot of what I do is what's called foundational estate planning. That means that I am doing um, living trust-based estate planning drafting, drafting for individuals and couples with children, without children, sometimes putting in their asset protection planning for a surviving spouse or partner, sometimes putting in asset protection planning for um, for someone's children or other heirs, and that's foundational planning. Just like a foundation of a building, that's the first level of planning that is done. I sometimes do planning, but not very often. Special irrevocable trust planning for someone who owns life insurance, maybe for someone who wants to benefit charities and wants to get some more income out of a property by converting it to a different form, um, but then having it eventually go to charity when they die. That's called a charitable remainder trust. I also have done a number of what are called retirement plan trusts, which are special trusts designed to be the beneficiaries of someone's retirement plans when they die in order to provide asset protection planning for the retirement plan asset when it's being passed on, for example, to someone's children. Now, I am backing off doing that now, except in very specific cases, because literally Congress is in the process with significant bipartisan support of passing a new law that will severely restrict um, 
that that type of planning and the benefits of that type of planning. Uh, the planning before this law would permit you to actually spread out the distribution of a retirement plan over the lifetime of your beneficiary, such as a child. The new law is going to limit it to a five or 10 year payout. I haven't looked at all the details yet, but that means that one of the major benefits of doing the special retirement plan trust, which is providing long-term distribution of the asset to spread out the tax liability, that is going to be going away. So, uh, That's something I'm going to be addressing going forward. I have to decide after an analysis of the new law whether or not it still makes sense for some people to do that type of planning. But in the meantime, I'm not actively doing seminars on that topic anymore because the rules are in the process of being changed. And I would have to change my seminar before I could actually present again. Now, another thing I do a lot of and I've been doing an extremely great number of, is special types of petitions through the probate court in two different areas. Now, I covered this in the show that you heard broadcast last week, um, but I'm going to kind of do a summary here today and let you all know that what I'm about to tell you is something that I can do for anyone anywhere in the state of California that is faced with a situation like this. The first thing is what's called a Hegstat petition, and the second thing is what's called a trust modification petition. The Hegstat petition is one that is done under a section of the probate code that is probate code section 850, 850. It's basically a court petition that where you go to court and you show the court, hey, this person who died had a trust. Here's property that they owned that was in their individual name or payable to their probate estate after they died. And we want to get that property into the person's trust without having to go through the whole probate process using their will, their special type of will called a pour over will, in order to get it into the trust ownership. I'm going to expand on that after the break. The second petition is a trust modification petition, which can be used to actually modify or change the terms of an irrevocable trust where the original owner of the trust has already died. And yet the people who are left behind may not like the terms of the trust. So it's possible to go to court and talk about that as well. Now, I'm going to go into more depth in the in the final segment of the show today um, and then wrap up the show and head on into the weekend. Remember, I do have a seminar tomorrow morning. You can go to Eventbrite, look for Living Trust Seminar, and register there. There's still some spaces available. So after the break, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. We're heading into the final um, final segment of the show today. And 
Before the break, I told you about two different types of court petitions that I do. One's called a Hegstat petition. That's actually named after a court case here in California. And the other is called a trust modification petition. So um, the Hegstat petition um, is basically designed to take property that was owned by someone during their lifetime, but for some reason they failed to get it into their trust before they died, or it was taken out of their trust before they died and not put back in. As I put it, if you consider the trust being like a, a toy box for your toys, sometimes people forget to put their toys away. They take them out and play with them, and they don't put them back. Or they buy a new toy, and they never put it in the toy box in the first place. Well, those types of petitions I do regularly, and I actually do them. And this may be of interest to those of you who have a family member or situation that's in another part of the state that fits just this description, I can actually handle petitions like that for property owned by someone who died anywhere in the state of California who had a trust anywhere in the state of California, and and I can work with the family, and I can get the Hegstat petition relief um, locally where I'm at here in the Bay Area. I can do it ex parte, which means no formal hearing. And as long as all of the beneficiaries of the trust, all the interested parties consent to waiving notice of a hearing and consent to the petition to gather that property into the trust and also consent to, to having venue, meaning where the actual case is heard be heard in the county that I uh, I have these petitions filed. That can be done without um, going through the whole court system in the county where the person lived. Now, to give you an example, uh, just yesterday, I filed three different Hegstat petitions and then got signed court orders in the same day, and the properties in question, the trust impression, uh, in um, the trusts that were uh, in question, rather, were all for people who died in Southern California, in like Orange County and uh, San Bernardino County. And uh, and actually also uh, one was, uh, I take it back, one was actually here in the Bay Area in Contra Costa County. I took care of all of those, um, and um, in all cases, they were done within a week or two after I was originally contacted. My actual record for one of these types of petitions is from a Friday to the following Monday, getting the court relief. I did that a few weeks ago for an escrow that was in Southern California that was about to drop out of escrow because the buyer's loan commitment was running out. And um, to go through the court system down there, they were being told six to seven or eight months to get through to get a petition like that granted. And I got relief for them from Friday to the following Monday. Now, that's not usual. That's not typical, but it shows what is possible. So if you have a situation like that out there in the state where you're a beneficiary of a trust, your parent died somewhere else in the state, and you're facing this issue, if you're a realtor and you're facing this issue with a listing that you just took where you find out that the 
the listing is not in the name of the trust of the person who died, and you wonder, what do we need to do? If you work for a title company as a title officer or escrow officer, this is the same issue. In fact, I just joined the California Land Title Association as an affiliate member so that I could bring this message to title and escrow officers and companies throughout the state of California that I can help them help their clients and prevent their escrows from being uh, lost, realtors from sales being lost, and then families from having to go through months and months and months and maybe tens of thousands of dollars of expense just to get a property into a trust that was supposed to be in the trust in the first place. So that's something I do a lot of. I have a dedicated website that describes all this. It's called HegstatHelp.com. Hegstat is spelled H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D and then help, all one word, dot com. If you have a situation like that, you can email me at Hegstat at LawBob.com, H-E-G-G-S-T-A-D at LawBob.com. And uh, and I can start a conversation with you. If you're an attorney hearing this, same thing. I can help your clients. I help clients, uh, the clients of attorneys all over the state. And I have some attorneys now that have just told me, anytime something like this walks into my office, uh, I'm just going to send it on to you. We're not going to worry about trying to do it locally anymore because it just doesn't really work well anymore. So... Uh, don't really have time to go into the details about trust modifications. I do have a website that covers that. It's called irrevocabletrustdoctor.com, all one word. You can visit that if you have a situation like that where you'd like to change an irrevocable trust. But for now, we're going to wind up today's show. I do have a seminar tomorrow. Um, check out Eventbrite for Living Trust Seminar on June 1st. That'll be me. And until next week, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio host, wishing you a happy weekend and getting some time off. Talk with you next week. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn 
Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.